Amen. Well, good morning. Man, it is so good to be with you guys on the Lord's Day. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Christ at a Pleasant Valley Community Church in, in Owensboro, uh, Kentucky. We think about you guys often, pray for this church uh, often. We are thankful uh, that Jesus is faithfully building his church uh, here in Carbondale, uh, Illinois. As uh, Pastor Russ just mentioned, I've had the joy of knowing that brother for uh, a number of years, and I am, I'm excited to be in the presence not only of God's people, but of some sp- special God's people that are Cubs fans this morning. So. I do feel uh, your prayers are answered. I feel right at home uh, this morning. But uh, as I said, I've known Russ for a long time. And just over this last year, I've gotten the joy of, of uh, and the pleasure to get to know uh, Pastor Jared uh, and Pastor Andy. And I have uh, quickly uh, fallen in love with these brothers, their love for God, their love for God's Word, the mission, their love for this church. So I would just say to you all, they didn't pay me to say this, y'all are blessed uh, to have the brothers that you do uh, leading this fellowship. Love them well, uh, submit to them, uh, follow them as they follow Jesus. Jesus. Um, got a confession to make to you guys. Like, uh, I Facebook stalk Christ Church uh, unapologetically. We like keeping up with what's going on uh, down here in Carbondale. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Jared made this post about your new summer uh, sermon series on the church and was talking about some of the things you guys were going to begin to work through, some Baptist distinctives, the, the sufficiency of Scripture and elders and deacons and congregationalism, the church gathering. And I was like, so I got all excited and I made a comment or something on the post, but oh, I want to come, meaning I just wanted to come and listen. <laughs> Next thing I know I get an invitation to preach. So with the, uh, with, with the uh, blessing of my fellow pastors and the blessing of the elders at Pleasant Valley, uh, here I am this morning. And I'm grateful to you brothers, to Pastor Andy and Pastor Jared, Pastor Russ, for the opportunity to open God's Word and preach God's Word to the people that have been entrusted to your care. I don't, I don't take this lightly. So um, if you have your Bibles or a device with the Bible on it, however you get down, let's, uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews uh, chapter 10. If you're newer to the Bible, Hebrews is over in the New Testament. Uh, find all those T books, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. It's going to be between Philemon uh, and the book of James, Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to look at just seven verses this morning, verses 19 through 25, and, and trying to answer the question, why does the church gather? Why do we get together uh, on the Lord's Day? And as you're finding Hebrews chapter 10, uh, let me just say a couple things about um, the necessity of, of Christ's church's commitment uh, to gather on the Lord's Day while you're finding Hebrews 10. Let me say two things. First of all, the gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day on Sunday, first is countercultural, as Christianity has always been, and secondly, the gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day is a, is a non-negotiable. I would first say that us being here this morning, guys, is, is countercultural uh, in the sense that God's people setting aside time on God's day to, to come together as the family of God, the people of God, is countercultural in the sense that would you guys agree for the most part that we live in a culture of autonomy, right? We, we celebrate individualism. We, we celebrate this idea of, of rugged individualism that really, that I am the center of the universe, that, that everything uh, is, is about me. We celebrate the, the self-sufficiency of man and that we're really not dependent on anybody or, or anything else, that we are the end-all, be-all. To quote the great theologian Nacho Libre, um, many believe that they're the gatekeepers of their own destiny, destiny that they're the, the end-all, be-all. Yet... Uh, the Bible is very clear to us, guys, that there is a corporate nature to Christianity. It's not something that you've been called to do by yourself or called to do in isolation. When Jesus saved you, get this, Jesus did not just save you from hell, He saved you into His church. 
read Ephesians chapter 5. Christ takes the church very seriously. It was the church, God's redeemed, blood-bought covenant people that Christ bore their sins and died for. You've not just been saved from hell, but into the church. You are part of the body of Christ. If you're not familiar with Romans 12, I would encourage you this week, immerse yourself in Romans chapter 12. There the the Apostle Paul, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, teaches us what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. In Romans 12, 5, he says, Though we are many, we are one body in Christ, and get this, and individually members of one another. You catch that? Like through the work of Christ, we are one church this morning. There is a universal church, but on a local level, this is one church. We're many members, but there is a real sense in which as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, as lovers and followers of Jesus, though we come here as many members, we are members of one another. There's a real sense in which you guys belong to one another under the headship of Christ. We aren't saved to isolation. We aren't saved and then it's just like, hey, me and Jesus got our own thing going. No, I would argue Jesus has his thing going and it's called the church. And if you're joined with him, you are joined to one another. That's countercultural to be committed to other people and their care and their help and their wisdom and their accountability and their rebuke if, if need be, rather than looking to ourselves as the end-all, be-all. Not only is the gathering of God's people countercultural, it is a non-negotiable. Um, I say that, that the gathering that we are partaking in today, and let me clarify, you should be gathering with other Christians throughout the week in small groups or missional communities or wh- whatever you call them there. there sh- you should be gathering in discipleship relationships with other believers throughout the week. But I'm, I'm speaking primarily of the Lord's Day on, on Sunday today. That is not only countercultural, but it's not negotiable in the sense that Hebrews chapter 10, the text that we're going to look at, just says plainly do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You know what that means in the Greek? Come to church. Like, seriously, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand that. Don't, don't neglect uh, to, to get together. The gathering with God's people on the Lord's Day, listen, is elementary obedience. To King Jesus, that's Discipleship 101, that we show up and we gather with God's people. And it's elementary obedience because Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my what? My commandments. That's why I say it's non-negotiable. Gathering with God's people on the Lord's Day is a way of affirming our love for Jesus. It's one of the ways that you know that you are saved. Now let me clarify. Coming here this morning doesn't save you any more than like showing up at Krispy Kreme makes you a donut, right? Um, That's not what I'm saying. Just because you're here doesn't necessarily mean that that you are are in Christ. But I ask, is there a, a longing in you? Is there a desire growing in you? Is there an affection in you growing to gather with other people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells? I would argue that's an earmark of of, of Christianity because the Bible tells us if the Spirit's in us, we shouldn't neglect to meet together. There should be something that draws us together with God's people on the Lord's Day. And the Scripture commands it. It's simply a matter of obedience. My good friend Dr. Tom Askell says this, and this is a strong statement, if the written Word of God is not Lord of your thinking, then the living Word of God is not Lord of your life. So when we look to God's Word... 
And we see those commandments that tell us, don't neglect to meet together. Unless our, our hearts and our minds and our actions are impacted by those truths, we really have no reason to believe that we're truly in Christ. Okay? A lot of that wasn't in my notes. That was free. Moving right along. Okay? Hebrews chapter 10. I hope you found it. Verses 19 through 25. Let's read this in answering the question, why do we, why do we gather? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He has opened for us through the curtain, that is through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, as we just sang, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23 through 25 is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your living, active word. God, uh, give us sober hearts and clear minds. May we lean forward and lean into what you would have uh, to say to us today. Oh, Lord, this is your word inspired by your spirit for your people. Oh, God, speak. Your servants are listening. In Christ's name, amen. From these seven verses, I just want to offer as quickly as I can uh, three reasons why we gather on the Lord's Day. This isn't an exhaustive list. There's tons of reasons. We could preach a whole series on that, but three reasons from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Just so you know where I'm going, the three things we're going to look at. We gather to remember the gospel. Secondly, we gather in remembering the gospel, and in doing so, we encourage one another to persevere in the faith. And lastly, as we gather remembering the gospel and encouraging one another to persevere in the faith, we are rehearsing for eternity. The first thing that I would call to your attention that we gather here today, guys, as the body of Christ, brothers and sisters under the headship of Christ, we are gathering to remember the gospel. Martin Luther, the great 16th century uh, reformer of the church, was often criticized for his weekly preaching of the gospel, to which he responded, we need the gospel every day because we forget the gospel every day. What did he mean, what did he mean by that? Maybe we don't uh, mentally or physiologically lose track of the story of the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's not what he meant. But what he meant was this. Let's be honest, guys, that we are prone to wander from the truth of the gospel gospel and the simplicity of salvation by grace through faith in Christ in a million ways, are we not? When we leave this place, like we are prone to, to wander from that truth. And I think uh, for my own heart, and maybe this resonates with you, there are two ditches that depending on the week and the way the wind's blowing, I find myself in one of these two ditches. I wander from the truth of the gospel. I need this gathering to remember the gospel because I either go to this ditch and feel like that I have sinned too much and that I've gone too far and that I'm a wretch completely unworthy of salvation. Right? Anybody ever been there? Right? I'm either in that ditch or I find myself over in this ditch that, man, I got my crap together. I shouldn't say crap. I got my stuff to. 
I got my stuff together, okay? But deep down, I'm a pretty good guy. Help that old lady across the street. You know, I'm on the, I'm on the rotation to serve in children's ministry this week. I dropped a 10 spot in the offering. I got my stuff together. There's something, whoa. There's something in me that has captured God's attention. And, and really, I, I got this. Anybody ever been there? Like, let's be honest. We're, we're, like, somehow that our, our doings, our goodness, our righteousness somehow merits God's attention and His favor. Well, we gather to remember the good news. The good news rightly sung and prayed and confessed and preached. It does this for us. It confronts our self-righteousness and it comforts us in our sinful sorrows. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that truth over and over and over again. That I've not done too much and I've not gone too far. There is nothing that I could do or anyone on the face of planet earth could go too far or do too much that they'd be outside of the grip of God's grace. Praise God, right? Like, I need to be reminded of that, and I need to hear that every week. And on the other side, I need to be reminded that I am saved simply by grace, through faith, and it's not of my works, so that I have absolutely nothing to boast about. I love how Charles Spurgeon said it, my morality may keep me out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus to keep us out of hell. So my good works through the week might keep... I'm not out robbing and, and raping and, and, and you know robbing liquor stores after dark. And that might keep me from not getting locked up. But it takes faith in the spotless sin of God to be assured of an eternity with God in glory. Hebrews chapter 10 teaches us plainly uh, the preeminence and the supremacy of the gospel when we gather on the Lord's Day. Like actually the, the whole context of Hebrews chapter 10 screams this. Because if you're going to write, a, I think in my opinion, a one sentence summary of, of the book of Hebrews, it's just Jesus is better than, fill in the blank, right? And then especially in chapters 8, okay, leading up to our text in chapters 8, we're taught about Jesus being this new and supreme high priest of the new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 9, and, and continuing that thought, we learn that Jesus is not only the priest over this new covenant, but that He Himself is the perfect, completely sufficient, once for all sacrifice, and that there's no need for an ongoing mass to crucify Him week after week, that praise be to God, through the blood of Christ, He entered the holy place once for all, Hebrews 9.27, obtaining for us an eternal redemption. I love that verse. And keeping in that train of thought, in Hebrews chapter 10, continues to speak of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. We get to our text starting in verse 19. It says, therefore, in other words, in, in, in light of the gloriously good news of the gospel that we've been pounding for nine and a half chapters so far, in light of the gospel, and hey, just in case you missed it, here it is again in verses 19 through 22. The author recaps for us in, in just a few verses the entire previous three chapters in light of the fact that we have sinned. We now have access to the Father through the work of Jesus. That is the heart of the gospel right there. And I don't want to give a technical Greek lesson here. But if you're interested in those things, the, the sentence structure of verses 23 through 25 that I said we're going to kind of camp in, if you, if you study that, if you read that in, in the original language, 
It teaches us that the gospel is preached in verses 19 through 22, actually in the previous three chapters, that that is the foundation in which we are called to obey the command of verse 25, not to neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Let me say, the church, the gospel is, is why we have gathered today. We are together for the gospel. That's why Pastor Jared and Pastor Russ and Pastor Andy are very intentional in the things that we do when you come together. That everything is to be informed by and, and shaped by the gospel. Our, our liturgy and our readings and our prayers rehearses the gospel. The, the songs that we sing is the gospel. The prayers that are prayed should be gospel prayers. The sermons that are preached are gospel sermons. The gathering, listen guys, is intentionally gospel-shaped to drive the sufficiency of Jesus into our hard heads. Because we forget. Because I forget. And we gather to remember the gospel that Jesus, that Jesus really paid it all. That, that I haven't done too much that I can't be saved. And I'm not good, but that Jesus is great and that Jesus was, in fact, perfect to me. We remember the gospel. We gather to remember because we, I so often forget that in His kindness to us, the Lord's Day gathering, the Sunday gathering of God's people is like an alarm in the rhythm of our weeks that should jar us back to the reality that we're really not self-sufficient and Jesus Christ delights in saving sinners. Praise be to God. There is a... Back up. Should you be thinking about the gospel throughout the week? Absolutely. I, I pray that your mind often wander, wanders to Christ and just the depths of, of the gospel, that, that we should be doing that. But I would submit to you that there is a beautiful corporate nature to gospel meditation. I know you guys just preached through the book of Ephesians, didn't you? Um, that we're called, we find in Ephesians chapter 3, that we are called to dwell on the riches of Christ in the context of community. Have you ever thought about this? In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19, there the Apostle Paul prays for grace for the Ephesian church. And I believe through the living, active nature of God's Word that the, that the Spirit would pray for Christ's church this morning, for the church that she might have, listen to this, that she might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? With all the saints, with, with all the brothers and sisters, there's a, there's a corporate nature to us meditating and focusing on the glories of Jesus. And I pray what Paul prayed for the Ephesians would be true of Christ church every Lord's Day that you gather, that grace might be given to see Jesus, that it would squash our self-righteousness and drive away every fear when we see the beauty and the sufficiency of Christ. Before we move along, let's consider this, that the very fact that the church gathers on Sunday, the fact that we are gathered here on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, has huge gospel implications in and of itself. Now, I haven't talked to your pastors about this, so if I start a fire, I'll just leave it to them to put out, but um, that's the beauty of being a guest preacher. Um, I'm not a huge fan of this ideology that just says pick a day 
and worship, okay? Now fully understand there's going to be sickness, there's going to be vacation, there's going to be work schedules, things like that, that from time to time would prevent the people of God from, from gathering on Sundays, okay? I get that. But, but I also believe that there is something very special, something significant about the people of God coming together on the Lord's Day. Are you guys in agreement with that, just for the record? Three head nods. Good. Moving right along. Um, if we look at the Gospels, if we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if we go to the book of Acts, which is our, our New Testament history book, uh, if we look at Acts and, and all of the New Testament, really, we see the earliest Christ followers gathering on Sunday, the first day of the week. Now, ours is a faith with its roots in Judaism, right? And we see in, at the inception that the, the, the Jews did and still gather Saturdays for, for Sabbath worship, but that changed. And you know when that changed? That changed when Jesus Christ rose from the dead on that Sunday morning, the, the very first Easter and then it is all throughout the, the rest of the Gospels, all throughout the book of Acts, all throughout the New Testament. It's as if the Holy Spirit of God records the actions of the apostles and the early church as a clear sign that it is teaching us something. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is such a significant, history-changing uh, event that it is worthy of remembering and celebration every week. That's why we gather on Sundays that our gathering today like the church of 2,000 years past says that every Lord's Day in a sense is Easter Sunday there's a real sense in which every Lord's Day is Resurrection Sunday every Sunday that we come together as the people of God listen to this you are proclaiming to a watching world and the powers and the principalities the truth of 1 Corinthians 15-17 that Jesus Christ is risen that our faith is not futile and that we are no longer in our sins that's what Sunday gathered worship says to the powers and principalities and your neighbors and your friends and your co-workers when you make it a priority to gather with God's people on God's day, you are screaming, He is risen and our hope is in Him and Him alone. The church gathers to remember the gospel, which leads me to the second reason that we gather. In gathering to remember the gospel, we also gather to encourage one another to persevere in the faith. Let's just be brutally honest with one another for just a moment and kind of take off the super spiritual mask. Um, is it hard to love and live for Jesus sometimes? True or not? If you're not saying yes, you're a liar and you need to repent of that or you're not following Jesus. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. Are, are, there, are there moments in your uh, weeks and days that it is hard to love and follow and obey Jesus? Is it hard to love Him with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and strength? And is it hard to really love your neighbor like yourself? Absolutely, it is. Is it ever a fight for you to believe that Jesus is really better than all the things that shimmer and shine around you that would seek to, to, to grasp your affections? It's, it's hard. It's hard. Are there days... Let's be honest with you. Are there days when, you, when your heart lies to you and your mind tells you that it was a whole lot easier when I wasn't trying to follow Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Right? 
other days you just want to quit. You know, I think maybe that we need to be sure, pastors, Russ, Andy, Jerry, like, let's put that in front of our people often and confess that. Like, we try to do that a lot at Pleasant Valley. Our six pastors, when we stand and preach, we, we want to create this, this, this culture of transparency that say, hey, even as a pastor, I, I questioned if the gospel was really true on Wednesday. Like, I struggle too. I, I doubt. There's days I get up and I, I just want to quit. And the, and the gospel's good news for us too. And the gospel's good news for you. In that moment, it is hard to follow Jesus. Yet in God's kindness, the gathering of God's people, the church gathered like we're experiencing today, is a means of grace in our life to help us week in and week out to continue to fight the fight and to run the race. I want us to see the beauty and the kindness of God in the command in Hebrews 10 not to neglect meeting together. Scripture teaches that God's commands are not burdensome. Like, like God is not some cosmic buzzkill that's just wanting to cut into your golf time today. No, He's commanded this for our ultimate joy and for our eternal good. And He knows that this is good for us as we come together today. And when you get to this point, I think it takes just a moment here. We have to, to teach a bit on, on, on a good and right view of the doctrine of, of perseverance at this point. Praise be to God that, that we know and we believe according to the testimony of Scripture that Jesus keeps those that He saves. Amen? That Christ is, Christ is not a partial Savior. Jesus is not a semi-Savior. Take delight and joy in that, that the cross of Christ really accomplished something. John chapter 6 teaches us that all that the Father gives to the Son will come to Jesus, and He will lose none of them that the Father gave to Him, but they will, not might, not maybe, they will be saved on the last day. Praise God! <laughs> John chapter 10, fast forward four chapters, we, we read that Jesus says that I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand and my Father who gave them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Christian, let's just, let's just rejoice in this glorious gospel truth for a second. There is no safer place in the universe than in the hands of God who bled and died for you. There's not a safer, more secure place that you can be than in the hands of God. If you have been saved, the Bible teaches that you are being kept for glory. Period. Take comfort in that. Note in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, look at that verse, that our command to hold fast is not rooted in our strength or our ability to persevere, but it's rooted in God's faithfulness to us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for, that little Greek word, God, because He who promised is faithful. Hold fast to your confession. Why? Because Jesus is faithful. When I read Hebrews 10.23, my mind races to 2 Timothy 2.13 that says even when we are faithless, even when we roam, 
And we wander and we sin and we want to run from Christ and the, and the sufficiency of the gospel. Even when we are faithless, He remains faithful for He cannot deny Himself. Praise be to God we have a faithful Savior in Christ. Jesus is more committed to our salvation than we are. We are, as that great hymn of the church says, prone to wander and leave the God we love. But Christ, our saving, sustaining Savior, He saves to the uttermost. Hebrews 7.25 You should jot down if you're taking notes, 1 Peter 1.5 that you are being guarded by God's power for salvation to be revealed in the last day. The very power that created the universe is guarding you and is keeping you for glory. Praise be to God that Jesus keeps those that He saves. Yet, hear this, our great saving, keeping God, that God is a God of means. And the means that He often employs or uses to keep us is the gathering of God's people. Let me say that differently. Jesus saves us and keeps us, but the way He often keeps us is the encouragement, the correction, the accountability of the people of God. Let me say it another way for you. That Jesus clings to us by causing us to cling to Him and the way that we find ourselves clinging to Jesus is the encouragement of brother, brothers and sisters that continually point us back to Christ and say, He is better, He is true, He is faithful, He is lasting, regardless of what shimmers and shines and wants to pull your attention. Cling to Jesus. The gathering of God's people is a means that God uses to keep us. Remember, we got the gospel in chapters 8, 9, and 10. We got the gospel again in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Now, now look at verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. Again, rooted primarily in the faithfulness of Jesus, yet see this, we are called, brothers and sisters, to hold fast the confession of our faith unwaveringly. We are called to cling to Jesus. Praise God that He, that he saves us and He keeps us. But listen to me. Please read Hebrews 10.23 as a real warning. It's not just filler. It's not some hypothetical scenario. Listen to me. That we have to hold fast to Jesus. In fact, the book of Hebrews is chalked full of these sober warnings. To hold fast. Don't drift. Don't wander. Stay rooted. Stay connected. Keep fighting, keep believing, keep running to Jesus over and over and over. These aren't hypothetical warnings, church. Cling to Jesus as if your soul depends on it because it really does. When I read Hebrews 10.23 and this command, it's not a 
suggestion here, this command to hold fast the confession of our hope, hold fast to Christ, hold fast to the truth of the gospel. When I read that command, my mind races, strangely enough, to that crazy Weather Channel anchor that I think we've all seen, the guy that goes to the worst place on the face of planet Earth. I'm talking about the suit, if it's a hurricane or something, there he's standing in his cute little raincoat and there's, there's cows and buses flying behind him in the background. He's holding on to a stop sign for dear life. You know, this is Bill or whatever. He's, you know, try. I'm like, okay, that's, that's a pretty good analogy example of a guy holding fast so he's not blown away in the middle of this storm. Um, this morning when I was praying, I, I thought on a much more serious note, I'm sure many of us have these images uh, forever burned in our mind's eye of that horrible tsunami in 2004. Southeast Asia, remember that? Claimed the lives of a quarter million people. And I remember seeing the pictures of those people, the video of those people frantically screaming, mothers grasping their children, hanging on to trees or rooftop or debris with their, with their dying breaths, holding on to anything they believed to be a source of salvation. With their dying breath, they were clinging to something they thought could save them. I would argue, guys, that this is the tenacity that Hebrews 10 calls for. Jesus told us, why are we told to hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering? Because Jesus told us really plainly, guys, in Matthew 10 and in Matthew 24, only the one that endures to the end is saved. We need, we need to have that sober truth set on our hearts from time to time. Like it really doesn't matter how we started or when we started. Like it's only the one that endures to the, to the end that is saved. I don't care about a prayer that you prayed in VBS in 85. I don't care about your baptism. I don't, I don't care about if you're you know, serving or if you've read every John Piper book ever, ever published. None of those things matter. I ask you this, are you aggressively clinging to Jesus right now? Are you holding fast, unwaveringly, the confession of your hope that Jesus is enough and that He's your only true and lasting help and hope? Remember I quoted earlier, 1 Peter 1.5, that we're being guarded by God's power? Well, here's the rest of that. That you are being guarded by God's power through faith. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you see that? That your faith, God gifting you with faith, blessing you with faith, God sustaining your faith is a display of the power of God. Have you ever thought about that? You didn't just wake up one morning and self-produce that. That your faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone is a mind-blowing demonstration of the power of God. In fact, in one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he says that the same God that said, let there be light, has shown in the darkness of our hearts to reveal the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see what he's saying? He's saying that faith in your heart this morning rivals creation in the magnificent display of God's power. That we are being guarded by God's power through faith. That means that your ongoing, your persevering faith is the means that Jesus keeps you. And in fact, I would tell you or teach you, encourage you this morning, did you know that Jesus is actually praying to that end right now? This should encourage you that both in Hebrews and Romans 
And we sang it this morning. We read that, that the resurrected, ascended Christ sits right now at the Father's right hand, ever interceding for His own, ever pleading for His own, ever praying for His own. Have you ever wondered what exactly it is that Jesus is praying right now for His people? Well, I think Luke 22 gives us a really good picture of that. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is having an exchange with Peter. He's actually foretelling Peter of his soon coming betrayal and his return. And Jesus says to him, Peter, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And brothers and sisters, I would, I would present to you, submit to you for consideration that Jesus Christ continues to pray to that end even now. That Jared's faith would not fail. That Andy's faith would not... That all the brothers and sisters... That the, that the resurrected, ascended Christ sits at the Father's hand this morning praying for His people that their faith may not fail. Hebrews 10, 23-25 it's as if the Holy Spirit knows the, the wandering fickleness of our hearts and our propensity to cling to other things to, than, than Jesus. It's like the Spirit knows that we are prone not to hold fast. Therefore, we are commanded that when we gather, that we are to stir one another up to love and good works. I want us to see the, the, the inextricable connection between remembering the gospel and encouraging one another to persevere in the faith that, that see this connection between the gospel preached and prayed and sung and confessed and encouraging one another in the truth of the gospel as a means of grace, of keeping us that when we are confronted each Lord's Day with the truth of the sufficiency of Jesus in song and prayer and in sermon and in liturgy, when Jesus is made much of, when we see our wretchedness and the beauty of Christ, when we just, just marinate in this with me for just a moment, that when we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, when we see ourselves rightly as guilty sinners deserving the just wrath of God, and when we are reminded of the lavish love of God poured out on us in Christ, when we see Jesus for who He is and what He has done, as the old hymn says, the things of this earth grow strangely dim in light of His glory and His grace. When we see Christ week after week, we can't help but love Him. When we see Jesus as He is, we can't help but love Him. We can't help but be stirred up to love Him. When we see the spotless, sinless Lamb of God and His bloody brow and back and hands nailed to the tree, bearing in His body the sins of all who would believe. When we see Christ buried in a borrowed tomb, we see Him rising the third day, crushing the head of Satan and sin in the grave. How could we not love Him? When our affections are stirred, our actions follow. Stir one another up. Consider how to stir one another up. Love for Christ and good works. Demonstrating your love for Christ. That is accomplished through gospel-rooted encouragement that implores us to persevere. We gather to remember the gospel and in doing so we encourage one another to persevere in the faith. 
we gather to weekly point one another back to Jesus, to cling to Him. As the text plainly says, do not neglect. Do not neglect. Don't forsake to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 25. Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 teach us that when we come together as God's people and we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs like we did this morning, that we are addressing, we are admonishing, we are encouraging one another in the faith. Guys, let me just tell you, you are blessed to have Pastor Andy doing what he does for this church. Putting the gospel in, in, in our mouths is it not good for your soul to come together with the family of God and sing the truth? There is something supernatural. There is something saving. There is something love-stirring about the people of God singing that truth around one another, confessing and singing the Gospel. Is it not, is it not good for our soul? Then when Pastor Andy stands up here on Sundays, he's, he's not just here to be eye candy. I know that's hard to believe. Okay? He's not just filling some time with songs and readings before we get to the preaching. He's putting the good news in your mouth every week. And there's something, like I said, encouraging, love-stirring, transformative about the saints of God coming together to sing of the wondrous love of Jesus. Amen? It stirs us up to hold fast the confession of our faith. It pushes us. It encourages us. It propels us. kicks us in the seat of the pants to persevere. The true gospel we're confronted with. I failed this week again. I blew it. There's nothing in me good. But praise be to God that Jesus paid it all. When that truth is sung and confessed and prayed and preached, it empowers us and equips us to go back out there, wherever you're out there may be, the factory at the ball field, in the classroom, wherever that is, and it empowers us to get back out there and fight because it's hard. And when we walk out those doors... Uh, we are bombarded on every side with the lies of the devil, right? There's an idol on every corner screaming at us to capture our affections. But when we gather, as Hebrews 10 commands, and as, as 1 Timothy 5 tells us to encourage one another and build one another up in doing so, we stir one another up every week to a greater love to Christ, to greater devotion to Jesus, to greater obedience to Jesus, therefore empowering us to cling to Christ, to endure to the end, and be saved. Do you see how the church gathered, remembering the gospel is a means of grace in your life, that you persevere in the faith? Lastly and very quickly, we gather... Each Lord's Day, I love this, as a way of rehearsing for eternity. Let us hold fast, verse 23, the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Note that the Holy Spirit-inspired author concludes the command to gather and to encourage one another, to stir one another up to love and good works by pointing us to a day that is drawing near. 
the day of the Lord. That is the, the second coming of Jesus. For those of you that like big words, there is something deeply eschatological about us gathering on the Lord's day. Our gathering today, think about this, our gathering this morning points to the second coming of Jesus and a glorious gathering in the age to come. That when the people of God gather around the Word of God on God's day, this is in fact a foretaste of glory. Listen to, I could not say this any better. I want to read to you this quote from John Piper and let the nations be glad. Listen to this. I like to think of all our worship in this age as rehearsal for the age to come. That one day we, who by God's grace, who have been faithful to the Lord, are going to stand with innumerable millions of believers from Bangladesh, Poland, Egypt, Australia, Iceland, Cameroon, Ecuador, Burma, Borneo, Japan, and thousands of tribes and peoples and languages purified by Christ with palms of praise in our hand. And when we raise them in salute to Christ, He will see an almost endless field of green shimmering with life and pulsating with praise. And then like the sound of a thousand rushing choruses, we will sing our song of salvation while the mighty Christ with heartfelt love looks out over those whom He has bought with His own blood. Brothers and sisters, our gathered worship today is a pointer to that day. Did you get, we are rehearsing for eternity this morning. Consider this. This gathering of God's people on God's day. Hear this. This is the realest thing that you will do all week. This gathering is it's literally like, a, like an echo from eternity. When the blood-bought sons and daughters of God gather to worship Jesus, that this is the realest, the truest, the most lasting thing you will involve yourself in all week long. It is the people of God and the worship of God save nothing else that will know no end. You thought about that? Like everything else is coming. Your job as you know it, one day is going to come to an end. Even your, your marriage... Is, as you know it now, one day is going to come to any, everything on this earth except the people of God and the worship of God is going to come to an end. That the gospel has not created, listen to this, has not created a new and improved, a cleaned up, better version of us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that the gospel has created a whole new race of people brand new creations, a whole new race purchased from every color, every tribe, every corner of the globe. And in this new race of new creation people, God is really our Father. Christ is really your elder brother. And these are really your eternal brothers and sisters with whom you will one day share an eternal home. What does that do for your hearts this morning? When Charles Spurgeon would preach about the, the glories of God's people and in eternity's future, he often spoke of, of his heart being strangely warmed as he thought about the, the age to come and the worship of Jesus eternally praises fallen from his mouth, surrounded by the people of God. The family of God and the worship of God will have no end. Chosen in eternity's past to sing the praises of Jesus in eternity's to come. When we soon... Listen to God. When we soon gather around these tables to receive the Lord's Supper, 
1 Corinthians 11.26, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. It's a somber, sober celebration where we not only look to the cross, but we look to the sky and receiving the bread and the wine. We're saying, come Lord Jesus, right? That when we eat the bread and we drink the wine, we, we are reminded of and pointed to a soon coming feast, a marriage supper of the Lamb in a new earth, listen, in a new place that Revelation 21 describes as having no need of a sun or a moon because Jesus Christ is going to be the light in that land. That the supper that we are going to receive points to that day, a day that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 26 when He said, I will drink the fruit of the vine new with you in my Father's kingdom. Our gathering today is practiced for eternity in a place the psalmist described as having fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. Child of God, suffering saint, take comfort in that glorious reality. Regardless of what you are enduring now, heaven is your home. Regardless of what you're walking through, the pains and turmoil and suffering of this world, know this that as we have already sang and confessed one day, King Jesus will return. He will wipe every tear from every eye that He will make all the wrongs right. And you will, beloved saint, enter into your eternal rest. And our Lord's Day gathering, our Sabbath gathering, points us to that day of rest that draws near. Brothers and sisters, per this text, Christ Church, be faithful. Cling to Jesus with tenacity as if your souls depended on it. Do not neglect to gather on the Lord's day. Do not neglect to gather remembering the gospel. Do not neglect to gather and encourage one another and stir one another up to love and to good works. Do not neglect to encourage one another all the more as you see the day of God drawing near. Pastor Andy and his team want to join me. I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to turn it over to my brothers to facilitate the supper. Father, we are grateful. Oh, we are grateful for Jesus today. Lord, we can, as we've already sang and confessed, and I've, to the best of my ability, tried to point us to the sufficiency of Jesus. Lord, we confess again that we are hopeless and helpless people apart from Your mercies, oh God. Lord, we are in fact here today to remember the gospel, Lord. We are prone to wander and leave the God we love. We are prone to believe that we've sinned too much, that we've gone too far, that we've, we've got our stuff together. Oh God, may your gospel rightly, rightly preached, may your word rightly divided show us, Lord, that we are wretched in desperate need of a Savior and that our glorious Christ delights in saving us, Lord. May we rejoice afresh and anew in the work of Jesus today, Lord. And as we see Christ anew and afresh and, and, we, and we meditate on the depths of God's love shown us in the person of Christ that came and has lived for us and died for us and buried and has risen from the grave defeating Satan and sin and death, as we remember those truths, oh Lord, may we be stirred up again to greater love for Christ, greater devotion and obedience and service to, to King Jesus, Lord. And may we see this gathering today is but a foretaste of the age to come. Oh Spirit, drive these truths in our hearts. Help us now. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.